Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Acts and chapter number 9. Acts and chapter number 9. Acts and chapter number 9 this morning. And let's stand together, please, out of respect for the Word of God. Acts chapter number 9. And I want you to follow along with me, if you would, please. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 10. And we're going to read down through verse number 17. The Bible said, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And I want you to read with me verse 17, please, out loud together. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. I want you to notice in verse 17, this man Ananias This is the only place in the Bible where he is mentioned with one exception. And that is later in the book of Acts in chapter 22 when the Apostle Paul is giving his testimony and he tells one little verse about this man Ananias. Now Ananias was not an uncommon name. Uh, There was uh, numbers of other people in the Bible that had the same name. But this man is only mentioned in Scripture here directly. And um, Ananias uh, uh, was the man that God used to make the first contact, the first born-again Christian to make contact with Saul of Tarsus. 
Now Saul was a Pharisee. He was a very well-educated man. He spoke many languages. He was a doctorate of the law of God. He, uh, and he was very zealous. And he hated Christians. He thought that Jesus Christ was a fake. He thought that Jesus Christ was a false prophet. And he was going to do everything he could to stop this false religion. And he had arrest warrants in his hand. The, the, the Christians in Jerusalem had already begun to be persecuted. And because they were being persecuted, they left their homes, their businesses, and they fled with their lives. And some of them went as far as Antioch in, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Damascus. Well, some went as far as Antioch, but in this story, Damascus of Syria. And they made a new life there. And they began to witness and tell about Christ. And Saul heard about it. And he got arrest warrants from the authorities in Jerusalem. And he was headed there to Damascus to arrest Christians. Have them in prison and no doubt try to get them executed. And that's when God interrupted Saul's life on the road to Damascus. Jesus himself spoke from heaven, a bright light, and it blinded Saul, knocked him off his horse. Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And Saul said, what wilt thou have me to do? And the men that were with Saul took him into Damascus. The Lord said, go to the street called Straight. There's a house there. You go there. And Saul, while he's praying, God, I think in prayer, communicated to Saul. He said, Saul, there's a man getting ready to knock on your door. His name is Ananias. First of all, he's going to touch you and I'm going to give you your eyesight back. Then he's going to baptize you. That's what y'all do after you get saved. Amen. Amen. Then he's going to baptize you. And he's going to help you. What we read was God speaking to Ananias. And told Ananias, go down to the street called Straight. There's a man Saul of Tarsus down there. And Ananias said, I know who Saul of Tarsus is. What's he doing in town? What does he want? But Ananias obeyed the Lord. And I want you to picture this. And this is the title of the message. Ananias was the first person to ever say, Hello, Brother Saul. Wouldn't that have been neat to see? Hello, Brother Saul. Nobody ever called him Brother Saul before. But now he's a different man. Thank you. 
Father, please give me your power to help your people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 22 and verse number 12, Paul, in giving his testimony, said about Ananias that he was a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there. Now, he didn't say the believing Jews. He said all the Jews. And so, there in Damascus, no doubt, there were believing Jews who had fled and unbelieving Jews. And uh, the Bible said that this Ananias uh, was uh, a devout man. In other words, he was devoted to the Word of God. Uh, The word law there means the Word of God. So he was devoted uh, to the Word of God and he had a good report. In other words, he had a good testimony before believers and unbelievers. And by the way, it's one thing to have a good testimony with the people you go to church with, and it's another thing to have a good testimony with the people you work with five days a week. Amen. The people that hear what comes out of your mouth when you hit your thumb with the hammer. Amen. The ones who, uh, uh, who see you at your best and worst day by day. And Ananias was a man who had a good testimony before all of the Jewish people, both saved and unsaved. Now, there's no other mention of Ananias in the Bible, but there is uh, written of Ananias in ancient history books. There is a record of Ananias that has been passed down, and it's not a biblical record. It is a historical record, of course, and so we don't give it the same uh, reliability, of course, as the Word of God. But there is uh, a record of Ananias as uh, that he was the first pastor of the church there in Damascus. And uh, that, uh, that would make sense uh, if Saul is going to, tar- uh, to uh, uh, Saul of Tarsus is going to Damascus to arrest believers. And, uh, and uh, also, uh, history records that this Ananias was not only the first pastor of Damascus uh, in Damascus, Syria, but he was also persecuted. He was also, because of his zeal and his fervor and his uh, hard preaching, <laughs> he was arrested, he was scourged, uh, much like the Lord Jesus was, and history says that he was eventually executed by stoning in his own church, if you could imagine. Now we'll find out for sure in heaven if all those details are correct, but it would not be a surprise, would it? For every one of the apostles that Jesus, of course, uh, Judas Iscariot was a devil from the beginning and he hung himself. But the other 11, every one of them was martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ. 
Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Peter was crucified upside down. Others of them were drugged through the streets by horses uh, until their bodies were torn apart. One of the apostles was thrown from a tower and his head was beaten with a club. The Lord prophesied this. Of all of them, the only one who was not was the beloved John. And history says they put him in a, in a pot of boiling oil to cook him alive, but he wouldn't die. And so they banished him to an island called Patmos, and uh, he wouldn't die because God wasn't finished with him because God still wanted him to write the book of Revelation. And we have the book of Revelation written by the Apostle John from the Isle of Patmos. So if history is correct, Ananias was also martyred for his faith. Let me give you some observations, some thoughts from this story. Number one, Ananias, if history is true, Ananias would likely have been one of the first men that Saul would have tried to arrest. I'm sure if that's true that Ananias was... Now obviously we do know this, that he had a good testimony before believers and unbelievers. And we know that he was devoted to the law of God, the word of God, because the scripture tells us that. So he would definitely have been a target. But if tradition is true, if history is true, then he was probably the number one target. He was probably on Saul's uh, most wanted list and the first name on the list and, uh, and probably would have been his first target. Number two, observation number two. Think about this. So God used Ananias, the man that Saul wanted to kill the most, God used Ananias to be the one who brought Saul to the light of truth and a new life. I'm about to get excited. And a new life in Jesus Christ. Would you think about that for a moment? Come here, brother Saul. Think about this. Here's a man who has a testimony before the world and before believers. Here's a man who loved the word of God. Here's a man who stood for what is right and who was zealous in his preaching, uh, was fervent and, and made people mad. And Saul wanted to get rid of him. And instead, Saul got born again and Ananias was the one who said, Hello, Brother Saul. I am Brother Ananias. Thank you. The first job I, I got a paycheck was working at Domino's Pizza. I think I got it when I was 15. You could get a work permit. And then 16, 17, and a little bit of 18 before I went off to college. 
And my boss was a man named Eric, and Eric was not a Christian. He was very foul-mouthed. He used lots of uh, bad language. <laughs> and, um, but he, he was a Taekwondo uh, a black belt, and uh, I would ask him, you know, hey, when, when things were slow, I'd say, show me what you can do. And you'd like this, Brother Paul. He, he, and he, and, uh, he was tall. And by the way, Brother Paul is, uh, he is uh, second world champion. What, what type of? Uh, Thai boxing? So don't mess with me, all right? <laughs> don't mess with me. Anyway, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Eric, I could take my, my cap off and stand on my tiptoes and hold it up in the air like this. And Eric could stand face to face with me, step back one step, jump in the air, turn all the way around, and kick the hat out of my, out of my hand. And then I would, and I'd <laughs> take care of him. Anyway. But uh, as a teenager, I would talk to him about Jesus Christ. And I would witness to him. And uh, 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 at I, uh, I would uh, a lot of times close up on Saturday night and uh, maybe Friday night and Saturday night. And so that means uh, uh, the store closed usually, I think, at 10 or 11. And then we had to clean up and so forth. So a lot of times I get home midnight or even after that. By the way, a lot of those Saturday nights, I would find my dad on his knees praying for the services the next day. But... One of those evenings, late, I went by the office and I noticed on Eric's desk a Bible. And I said, what is that? He said, oh, that's a Bible. I said, where'd you get that? He said, from my grandmother. He said, my grandmother was a Christian. And with his own Bible, I began to use his own Bible and tell him, about the plan of salvation and show them how to be saved. Eric didn't get saved and that went on for several months and I would witness to him and talk to him. Eric went on vacation one week. The manager went on and he was due back in on Friday night. He had gone to Tennessee to visit family as I remember and he came in about 5 o'clock on Friday evening when the phones were just starting to ring and orders for pizza were coming in for Friday evening. And I was at the counter there and I was answering the phone and I was making the pizzas. And the manager, Eric, walked in the front door and he walked right by me. He said, hey, Brother John. And he kept on going. And I said, did he just call me brother? And so I got done with that order and as quick as I could, I went back there and he's putting his apron on, you know. I said, what did you say to me a while ago? He said, I said, I said, brother John. He said, that is what I'm supposed to call you now, right? I said, what do you mean now? And he said, well, he said, on the way home a while ago, I got so miserable about not knowing if I'm saved. And he said, I just pulled the car over on the side of the road and I got out and I knelt down by the road and I asked Jesus Christ to save me. Amen. Is it okay to do it that way? 
I said, yes, sir, it's okay to do it that way. Do you know what you do you know what happened, Eric? When people would come in the store late on Friday night and Saturday night, a lot of people been drinking, you know. Sometimes people come in there, you could tell they were a little too happy. And uh, and they come in and they take God's name in vain. He'd say, Excuse me, uh, we don't use profanity in this store. Now, we'll make your pizza, but if you're going to do that, you'll need to step out on the sidewalk. (laughs) Glory. Amen. (laughs) By the way, there is nothing wrong with a Christian being the salt and light that God has called us to be in doing that very thing. I remember one of our men getting his heart right with God. He worked a shop. He was a mechanic. And I remember when he got right with the Lord... And going over to his shop, and there's a sign in the shop. No profanity. No cursing. Amen. I was like, glory. Amen. Maybe you need to put a sign up like that somewhere. I don't know. But can I tell you something? God specializes in hard cases. Amen. God specializes in hard cases. And our God is so wonderful God is so wonderful that the most unlikely people will one day because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, people who hated one another, people who were enemies of one another, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, can one day look each other in the eye and say, Hi, Brother Saul. I'm Brother Ananias. Thank you. Most of you will know this story. I have read and listened to books of this story. I'm listening to another one right now. Mitsuo Fushida. Mitsuo Fushida was the man who led the raid, the Japanese uh, air raid on Pearl Harbor. He led those planes to attack Pearl Harbor on that awful day that would eventually bring about Two atomic bombs to stop that war. Mitsuo Fushida had several times in his life where he should have died. There was an occasion where he was caught in a, before the war, where he was caught in some in a cloud cover. They could not see, and when it cleared, they were almost out of fuel. And uh, he told uh, his co-pilot, he said, take us up as high as we can. Use all the fuel that we have to get as high as you can. Because however high you are, you you can glide approximately four times that distance. And he said, maybe we'll see something. And they went up and he's looking and he saw a little Chinese boat. Not a large boat, but a boat with sails. They call them a junk. How many of you heard that term before? A Chinese junk. It just means it's a piece of junk. No, uh, it means uh, it means that it's, it's a boat. It's just a uh, not a large vessel, but it's a sailing vessel. And he said, "We're going to aim for that uh, that boat." And they did, and they crash landed, and the captain of the ship rescued them. They were able to crash right near the boat. And the captain of that ship rescued them. Believe it or not, on another occasion, Mitsuo Fushida was 
uh, 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 again, uh, out of fuel above an island, trying to get over the, uh, the top of the mountain, hit the trees, crash landed his plane. One of his crew was killed. The other survived. They walked three days on what seemed to be a deserted island until they saw a plane and they were so excited and they approached that plane only to find out that it was their wrecked plane. And those men who were already terribly injured by the impact of the crash and after walking three days without any nourishment or water, they collapsed and gave up to die. But something inside of Mitsuo, Mitsuo Fushida said, look down in that ravine, go to that ravine. And he got up and he said, men, we've got to keep moving, we're going to die. I don't know why, but we've got to move toward that ravine. They went down to the ravine, and on their way, they heard the sound of water, a rushing waterfall. They made it to the edge. They drank and got enough refreshment to begin to follow that stream down until they met a native of the island who took them to the shore where they were rescued by a Chinese junk. The same captain who saved him from a plane crash. If you don't see the hand of God Almighty in that, God would go on to move again in Mitsuo Fushida's life, the man who led the raid on Pearl Harbor. After Pearl Harbor, he was highly decorated. There was at least one other time where he should have been on a... There was one time at the Battle of Midway, he was, under, he was in the ship. He had had his appendix out. He had surgery. He was on a sick bed in the belly of the ship when we attacked Midway and attacked his ship and a bomb blew out the side of the ship. He was blown out of the boat into the water. The ship and everyone on board sank and he was in the water with two broken legs, kept himself afloat until he was rescued. You call that the hand of God. Amen. And my friend... After the, the decorated Japanese war hero went back home, and there was no wars, he went to farming. Disillusioned with life. And as he worked the ground and worked with the animals, he began to see the hand of God. And he began to become more and more curious about life. And he began to long for peace. He even wrote a book about Pearl Harbor and about peace, but he couldn't put an ending on it until one day he met some Japanese prisoners of war who had been in prison, had prison by the United States of America. And he asked them, he said, how were you treated in prison? And they said, very well. They said there was a young lady in her 20s, a single young lady, who would come every day to the prison camp and she would go all through the prison camp and she would say, is there anything that I can get for you? Are you in pain? What can I get you? What, how can I help you? And we, in, in, in Japanese culture, it, 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 this is, it was unthinkable, but she was so kind. And one of the prisoners said, ma'am, why are you so kind? She said, because my parents were killed by the Japanese 
My parents were missionaries on the island in, in, in the Philippines, in Luzon, in the Philippines. And when the war started, uh, uh, they fled up into the mountains for refuge. They were missionaries. But when uh, the Americans took the islands of the Philippines, the Japanese went deeper into the island, up to the mountains. And when they found Americans, they accused them of being spies and they were executed. And she said, my parents, before they were executed, asked one request. They said, can we have our Bibles for 30 minutes and can we pray? And those, they were allowed to pray and read their Bible in the last 30 minutes of their life. And that young woman in her 20s told those men and the, those Japanese prisoners, she said, I thought and prayed and wept when I heard about my parents. She said, but I also thought about what were they praying for? And she said, I knew in my soul that my parents were praying for their enemies and praying for God to have mercy upon them. And she said, I want to be the fulfillment of her prayers. And that's why I love you. And that's why I want to help you. When Mitsuo Fushida heard the story of that kind of love and that kind of forgiveness, he said, I want to know about that. He was asked by General Douglas MacArthur to come to a meeting to make peace with Japan when the war was over. On his way out of that meeting, a man on the street handed him a gospel track and said, Sir, please read this pamphlet and learn of the love and peace that Jesus Christ alone can bring. He opened the pamphlet and read the story of Jacob DeShazer, who was an American soldier imprisoned in a Japanese camp and got a Bible and read it and got saved and began to love his Japanese captors and afterwards wanted to tell others, uh, uh, Japanese, about the love of Jesus Christ. And Mitsuo Fushida said, that's the peace that I've been looking for. That's the love that I've been looking for. And there was a day, my dear friend, when brother Mitsuo Fushida, Fushida who became a Christian, found a brother Jacob DeShazer. And said, Brother Jacob, I'm Brother Mitsuo. Jacob DeShazer was one of Doolittle's raiders who bombed Tokyo. And Mitsuo, Mitsuo Fushida was one of the men from Japan who bombed Pearl Harbor. But let me tell you what the love of Jesus Christ can do. Hello, brother. Amen. Amen. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My pastor of seven years, Dr. House. My pastor of seven years, Dr. House. In a service. It, in, 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 those, in those years, there were many, many threats on his life. On one occasion, he was running one morning. And someone fired at him with a rifle. On another occasion, someone shot at him. 
He preached behind a bulletproof uh, a pulpit. There's, we have glass here across the face of our balcony. And there's a big uh, uh, glass a panel there where the entrance to the balcony was. And, and that was bulletproof. And he had to have armed guards outside of his house every night of his life thereafter. A man came to the service and in the invitation walked down the aisle. And he asked if he could speak to the pastor. Brother House went and met the man and said, Sir, my name is, and he reached in his pocket and he pulled out a contract for $65,000. And then he pulled out a pistol. And he said, I came today with a $65,000 contract on your life to kill you. He said, but I've listened to you preach. And he said, I want to get saved instead. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. James, one of the apostles, the apostle James, history tells us that he was beheaded for his faith in Christ. But James, while he was in custody, while he was in prison, his officer, his armed, his guard, who guarded James, James witnessed to him. And when James was taken to be, to be beheaded, his guard publicly professed his faith in Jesus Christ. He said, I too believe In the Savior Jesus Christ. Not these words of course. But with his life and testimony. He said I too believe. In the Savior Jesus Christ. And history records. That when James was beheaded. So was his guard. You've heard me tell the story. Of Richard Warmbrand. Who was a pastor in Romania. And he wrote the amazing story. Of his life in the book. Tortured for Christ. You ought to read that book. Every Christian ought to read that book. Tortured for Christ. Richard Warmbrand was in prison, was repeatedly tortured, repeatedly beaten for his faith in Christ. One day in a cold, cold morning in a Romanian cell, a prison guard had went to work that day without his coat and he was cold, exceptionally cold and he was cursing the cold. The only comfort that Richard Warmbrand had, just thinnest of clothes, literally on a starvation diet. They would, they would rejoice when in their watered down soup they would find a single bean. A little moldy piece of bread and some watery soup was all they had. And on this day, this prison guard who had participated in Pastor Warmbrand's Uh, a torture and beatings was cursing because it was cold. And the Holy Spirit of God, Richard Warmbrand, with one thin small blanket around his shoulders. And the Holy Spirit said, Richard, if that was me that was cold, would you give me your blanket? And Pastor Warmbrand said, no, no, God, don't ask me to do that. Don't ask me to do that. And the Holy Spirit said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. 
If that was me, would you give him your blanket? And Richard Warmbrand with his bony arm took that blanket off, pushed it through the prison bars, said, Sir, I see you're cold. Maybe this will help. And that prison guard looked at him, cursed and swore, snatched the blanket and threw it around him. But when he put that blanket around his shoulders, the conviction of God, the Holy Spirit, wrapped around his shoulders and his heart. And it wasn't long until that same prison guard went and stood in front of that cell and said, I don't understand you. I don't understand you. How could you be so kind to me when I've treated you so? And he had the privilege of telling that man about the love of Jesus Christ and leading him to faith in Jesus Christ. And that old wicked prison guard was saved. My dear friend over in the Middle East right now, duct taped to a chair and beaten, stood here in this pulpit numbers of times, and put a bullet on the front of the desk and said, you know what your life is worth to us? One bullet, that's it. And yet through his testimony and his love and his kindness, while unjustly imprisoned, that same man came and said, I don't understand you. Why do you treat us so kindly when we treat you the way you do, the way we have? And he had the privilege of beginning to witness to that man until one day that man too became a Christian. You know, Ananias, I want you to look down to verse 13. When the Lord told Ananias to go to Saul, this was his answer. Then Ananias answered, Acts 9, 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard. See those words? I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. He's here to arrest us. But the Lord said unto him, Go. That's the second time he told him. Go thy way. He is a chosen vessel unto me. My dear friend, listen to me. The great apostle Paul, who went around much of the known world and spread the gospel far and wide, planted churches wherever he went. The man who was persecuted for his faith, the man who was literally literally stoned to death and then raised back to life again. The man who gave us more books of the New Testament than any other New Testament writer, authored, of course, by the Holy Spirit, but penned by the, more books penned by the Apostle Paul. That man would never have been Apostle Paul if there had not been a man named Ananias who listened to the Lord and said, I'm doing an unlikely work in the heart of a man that others would never trust, would never take a chance on, would never believe in. And I'm asking you, Ananias, to step out by faith and forget what you've heard. And I'm asking you to go in faith, believing that God Almighty has the power to change the hardest heart and save the most wicked sinner. 
and bring love and peace between bitterest enemies. And Ananias was the one God used. Brother Saul. Who's your outspoken critic, scorner at work? Who's your outspoken critic, scorner in your family, in your neighborhood? God Almighty has a way of getting a hold of hearts. I was still in Bible college and one day knocked on a door on Lindale Street and a young boy by the name of Galatian Marchon, Mexican family, got on the bus and Marchon, uh, the Marchon family began to attend and Galatian was the first. He received Christ as his Savior that first Sunday. One of the deacons led him to Christ at the altar. He got baptized. He got excited, became very faithful. Later on, he'd go to marry a Christian girl and bring his family up in the ways of the Lord. And, but after he got saved, he started changing. He started bringing his Bible to Sunday school and church. His mom and dad began to come. His, his uh, brother and sister began to come. He began to go to school uh, he'd wear a shirt and tie and carry his Bible with him to his public school there in Chicago and invite other kids. And he lived right there in, in uh, North Chicago, right off of Armitage Avenue. Uh, uh, mostly a lot of Latin King gang members there. And, uh, and, uh, and so um, uh, he began to be, uh, he began to be uh, uh, pressured by the gangs to join the gangs. Somewhere along there, I got a burden for a man by the name of Anthony Velez. Anthony was 31 years old, and he had 10 children. And if you're a bus captain, you love any house with 10 children. And we went by, and his wife's name, I don't even remember, but the neighborhood, and everybody called her Pebbles. That was her name, as far as we knew. But Tony and Pebbles, and their children began to write, and once in a while... His wife Pebbles would come occasionally, but the children came pretty regularly. One day I got a burden for Tony, and I, I, was, I had done all my visitation for the morning, and I decided to go to see him. And he's a big old man. I'm sure he was 300 pounds, probably a little more, wore a bunch of gold chains around his neck. He had joined the gangs in that neighborhood when he was 15 years old. And when he joined, it was brass knuckles and chains. It wasn't guns, but by that time it was guns. And he told me once, he said, everybody I joined the gang with is either dead or in prison. I'm the only one left. That made him the president, the local president of the Latin King gang in that neighborhood. I went by his, his door one day and he was watching football on a Saturday. He was so used to bus workers coming and inviting the kids to come on the bus. And uh, I knocked on his door and he just yelled or something. And so I came in. Typically the door was not locked and I went in and he's there watching football and I sat down on the couch and I began to talk to him he didn't look at me he's looking at the television he didn't speak to me he didn't say hi he's just watching television big old man and I 
trying to speak to him, you know. And finally, he picked up the remote control. He turned the television off. He said, did you come to see me? I said, yes, sir. He goes, nobody's ever come to see me. Now they come see my kids. What do you want to say? I had the beautiful privilege of leading Tony Velez to Jesus Christ. Now, he struggled to become sanctified. <laughs> but I remember one time, I'd go over there. He'd come to church, and when he'd come to church, he'd wear dark glasses. You couldn't see his eyes. And he'd never take them off. And um, I'd go see him on Saturday. And if there was business in the kitchen, he'd send it out on the back porch. I'd stay as long as I can. And these gangbangers out there in the freezing cold Chicago. <laughs> anyway, I, that big old man put his, one day at his kitchen table, put his hand like this on his own kitchen table and just began to sob. And his big old giant shoulders just heaving like that. He said, I know... I know I need to get out of this. He said, but I don't know how. He said, if I try to get out of this gang now, he said, oh, my family would be killed. I don't know how to get out. Anthony told me, he said, Brother John, listen, if anybody in this neighborhood ever gives you trouble, you let me know. I said, okay. And he could get things done. I had a little fender bender. I needed a front fender for my vehicle. And he noticed that. And I was in there one day, and his wife was unpacking groceries. He said, what, you need some car parts? I said, yeah, I, I need a fender. He said, oh, I'll take care of that for you. And then I thought, no, 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 maybe not. <laughs> and I said, ah, Tony. He said, look, Brother John, this is the way I see it. And literally, his wife had uh, three or four of, of, of toothpaste bottles right there. And he, and, he, and he said, the way I see it, this guy over here don't have no toothpaste, and this guy's got four. He said, why shouldn't that guy have two, and this guy had two? I said, Tony don't get me any parts. <laughs> but Galatian, the boy, the gang started threatening his family. They literally were throwing bricks through his window, the house of his window in the, at night. And Galatian came to me and his family was afraid. And I went, to, I went to Anthony. He lived a block away. I said, Anthony, these stupid boys are scaring this family. He said, I'll take care of them. The next Saturday, I went back to visit on Armitage Avenue, and Anthony's arm was in a cast. I said, Tony, what happened to your arm? He said, remember that problem you told me about? I said, he said, you won't have it anymore. I said, okay. <laughs> I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> Can I tell you something that the gospel of Jesus Christ will do? It will make friends out of the most unlikely people. In the world. Hey, let me ask you a question. Who's your potential brother Saul? Who's the one in your life that is antagonistic? Not just an unbeliever, but someone who is against you and what you stand for and your testimony and your faith. Who is that person? Let me tell you something. The gospel of Jesus Christ 
can put a, 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 an American prisoner of war in a Japanese prison camp. He can make him to fall in love with a man, uh, who, who, uh, the Japanese man who caused his imprisonment. And he can cause uh, a, 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 an American soldier to become friends with a Japanese soldier. And he can cause an Ananias uh, to be friends with the Apostle Paul. And God can use you to bring the hard heart ones. God can bring you to bring those who are against Christ and against our faith. And you can show them day by day the love of Jesus Christ. You can weep over them. You can pray over them. You can love them. You can give them a witness for Christ. And God can use you one day to say, Brother Saul, would you bow your heads, please? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.